thanks for singing together and joining together in that. So, uh, like I said, this is normally a time when we uh, have a, a service designed just for the kids and they go on to the back. We don't have that, but we got activity sheets. Otherwise, you guys can hang out here. You get to be part of this service. I've got some fun things to say, hopefully, to everybody here. Uh, and actually, it applies because we're talking about being the body of Christ, which is a bit of a bizarre statement, especially if this is your first time to church. I'm already talking about these weird Bible-y, churchy metaphors. So good luck, right? Catch up. No, we'll explain it. Um, but the church, right, is this thing that you go to on Sundays in buildings that typically were built before 1980, look like they were actually built before 1940. No, that's actually, that's a huge problem. So, so we're, we're going to dive into that. We're, we're going to ex- explore this whole thing a little bit as we look ahead into this new year and we take a look at what it means to be Cedar Valley Church and why, why are we here? Why are we in mission? What is the point of Cedar Valley Church? Why are you attending? Why are you visiting or part of this? Or maybe you've grown up in it. What, what's going on for this year? So the whole month of January, we want to just take a look at this year coming up as we're kind of wrestling, making plans, as we're in this search process for calling of another pastor to the church here, lead pastor, as we're discerning and wrestling. We want to get ourselves hugely prepared to be an incredible force and representation of Jesus in our city. So actually, I've, I've, I've had, it's been a wild year, right? Like last year was, who is exhausted still from last year? Who needs like a two-month nap? Chad, back there in the sound booth, who's been sick for eight of the 12 months. He's exhausted. Did anybody all get like escape unscathed from the flu season too, by the way? Nice. Good immunity. We will give us... Give us your diet and your regimen, and <laughs> it, it, it's been a wild year, right? In that, I will also say, though, at least for me, myself, it's been probably one of the most challenging but also growing years. It's been incredible, the things that I've uh, never thought I'd be able to do in my life, uh, the things that I've been supported in, the things that I've seen this church do uh, have been amazing and encouraging. And as I've been praying, and especially in the Christmas season, which was chaotic and busy, and then we're also met with an ice storm and even more flu bug hitting everybody under the sun. Um, I started having this sense of, well, what's the next year going to be like? And, and what's, what's the whole point of this church? And, and what's the vibe and the feeling for coming forward here, right? And, and I had it fairly clear, this, this sense of, and it comes directly from our vision statement as a church. What's our purpose? What's our point here? And it's that mission would see Jesus in and through and because of Cedar Valley Church. Amen? That's also another thing I'm going to try this year. I'm going to actually get you to stay awake (laughs) and speak back a little bit. And, you know, if there's an online thing, maybe type on the comments a bit so Teresa's not just completely lonely by herself on the online feeds. But, But that's it. Like, that's the whole point. And not because we have a really cool street sign or because we do really neat events and we have popcorn at all of our movie nights, not because our building's really cool. Let's face it, we're, it's, it's, it's nice, but we're a bit past that point, right? We're not going to have a cool building. Not because our worship's amazing, even though it is incredible and our musicians and worship leaders are fantastic. Not because of those things. And not because of Sunday morning church. They're all great things. Those are fun things. But it's going to be because of this community. It's going to be because of the people, this gathering. That's what church is going to be. And because of that, people are going to see Jesus. 
this year. I think we can do that. Amen? We got another one? Good. This is good. This is what it's going to be about. And, and so one of the first things we're going to take a look at is, as we're called to be the church, is to debunk something that's powerful, that is pervasive in our language, in, in just what's normal, is this idea of going to church. Right? And, and it's so easy. I say, welcome, like, so glad you came to church this morning, or I'm going to whatever. It's, it, it's nobody's fault, really. Like, it's part of our language. When there's a snow day and we can't get the parking lot cleared, what's the, like, church is canceled, right? Or if we do something very different, right, and we're not doing the sit down in the pews and sing the songs and, and hear somebody talk for a bit, go home. Uh, if we do something kind of weird and different and dynamic, right, the language is like, well, it's okay, so we're not really doing church today, right? I know you've said that. I've said that. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody here. It's kind of just part of our language and our norm, and it's, it's because it's how we register charitable societies. It's because of how we designate buildings. We've got churches and places. But it kind of misses the point that's, that we get in the Bible. It kind of misses the point of what Jesus was trying to establish of what is the church. And so what, we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive. This is going to be... Um, maybe a little bit nerdy, a little bit historical. Um, We're going to take a look at what the Bible says church is. And so we're going to learn a couple Greek words. Who here speaks Greek? Good, nobody. So nobody's going to challenge me on this because I don't either. I spend a lot of time Googling. Uh, The word church, does anybody know it in in the Bible? You know that little bit? The word church, what we translate, it comes in the Bible. Because the Bible wasn't written in English, right? You You do know that. America wasn't the first, and Canada wasn't the first Christians. We didn't get the first and the rightest Bible. So the word that appears in the Bible that we translate to call church is called ecclesia. Say that with me, ecclesia. Now you know a Greek word. Probably not saying it right, me neither. It, and here's what it literally means. Ecclesia is the word it, 114 times in the New Testament, and it is... It means literally bringing together of people. That's like the direct definition, right? And kind of like translating any language, we have a little bit of flex. Um, So it's like an assembly, a gathering, a meeting. Um, One scholar kind of gives it this explanation. It's, It's actually used specifically, it was the Greek assembly for those in the community who were called forth for a gathering. Big old definition, right? That word, which was used in normal common day language, right? It's like when you're having like a, a, a skipping my mind right now, but like a strata meeting, right? Or whatever, and you get the notice at the door. So you go to the strata meeting to complain about the stuff and vote for a thing. That was an ecclesia. You were called to, to that. And then, then they take that word and, and then the, the uh, in translators and the authors of the biblical books start using that as the church, because Jesus started using it as a church. He started giving directions of telling people. So we actually have in Matthew chapter 16, 18, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. I tell you, uh, Peter, that you are Peter, you are the rock, and I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of Hades will never overcome it. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never overcome it. Um, further on in the New Testament, Ephesians 5, uh, there's this description of what is this gathering, and it's more than just a block party meeting kind of thing. The Apostle Paul writes, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the ecclesia, the church, and he gave himself up. He sacrificed himself for her. Even kind of gives it like a pronoun, a definition there. Uh, One author, Frank Viola, gives a bit more insight is that it carries this 
weight of an every member participation kind of gathering. Not something that you can attend and blend into the background, but you were brought to this gathering for a purpose and for a function and for a role. So you can't just kind of be there and kind of do nothing. And then here's a really key part about it with this idea of the ecclesia. And, and often in it too. So 114 times in the New Testament, 109 of those times is translated church. Some of those times it's translated assembly. And I think once or twice it's translated as together or gathering. But church, it is never an individual thing. It is always an assembly of multiple people. You'll hear language, and you might have even had this thought too, and especially if you're here maybe, but you've had a bit of a past where you've been, you've been burned by the church, and maybe whether it was the institutional stuff or somebody at church just really hurt you or, or got, in, got in and criticized or judged or whatever it was, and you've just been completely burned by the church in the past, and you're like, I'm done with that. I don't like that gathering, but you know, for me, my faith and this whole thing, I, I go out to the wilderness and I connect with God, right? Or on my own and I pray and I read by myself. I can do that. That's church for me. Kind of beautiful, but unfortunately, there's no evidence that that would actually be backed up by the Bible for church. This thing that's necessary for us to be in community actually has to be this multiple gathering, this communal thing with multiple people can't be solo. And if you have been, I will say too, if you have been burned by the church in the past, I'm sorry for that because we are a disaster so often and we hurt people. This church has hurt people. We have done wrong things and, and the devil is so present, especially in something as incredible like the church and people get hurt. So give it another chance. But it has to be a communal gathering. See, What's even so incredible is we have a God who exists in this mystery called the Trinity. God himself can't exist independently. He has this communal nature about him. There's three persons in him. It's this whole thing that I, I, there's textbooks upon textbooks upon bookshelves trying to explain this whole mystery, but the fact is that there's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God himself has this ecclesia that he is kind of existing in. So that's the word that literally says church. And it, when reading it too, if you're reading through Greek, it would just sound like any other gathering. Here's assembly or meeting. So how do you start calling it church and get this English word or other languages that kind of give it a distinction? And so English translators rely on the context and they kind of rely on what the purpose of saying ecclesia was meant for, why it isn't just said assembly or gathering. So there's another word, and we're going to learn two Greek words this morning. It's exciting. So the other word is koinonia. You want to try it? Koinonia, koinonia, this is a neat word. It's a much more complex word and I'm probably doing it a lot of injustice here, but the main idea of it directly translated as fellowship. And even that's a word that's a little bit airy, right? We, we kind of use it, but what do we really mean by that? What literally means like connecting, but like intimately. So it's translated it throughout the Bible as communion, intimate connection. Uh, it's literally translatable as intercourse. Okay, but, but not, we're not that kind of church. It's not that. But it means like, like really deep, close, real connection and dialogue with each other. And so what happens is when the biblical authors in the New Testament are talking about the ecclesia, the church, and then they're giving instructions for what, what are you gathering for? What's the point? What's the purpose? It often is backed up with descriptions and instructions saying this other word, koinonia, uh, one, of the, one of the passages that is often scholars cite it as the 
the birth of the ecclesia. The first place you see it is in uh, the book in the New Testament called Acts, which is kind of the, the Acts of the Apostles. It, after Jesus rose from the grave and sent his disciples out, this was the disciples preaching the good news, planting churches, people coming together, meeting. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we have this. It says, um, they, talking about believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, the disciples' teachings, and to koinonia, to fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the disciples, and all the believers were together. It's a connection towards Ecclesia, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had any needs. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes. And with glad and sincere hearts, they praised God, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily. This is the ecclesia. That's the birthplace of it. And the first major description word is fellowship, koinonia. These are the two words that are essential to understanding what is this intention? What, what was Jesus' design for church that he was leaving, that he sacrificed himself for, that the Bible compares marriage, a husband and wife, a bride and a groom, to this relationship, the church. So another really cool passage that helps us understand this a little bit better, this deep connection, this intimacy, comes out of uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And what this is is the author describing, again, it's, it's a description for the church of, of what's this point of gathering, right? What are you doing? Because already in the ancient world, there was Jesus rose from the grave. There's this good news. People were talking about it. They believe. They're like, fantastic. What does this mean now? And the disciples are saying, okay, this means it completely changes your life. It changes the people you surround yourself with. It changes who you immerse yourself in, who you spend your time with, what you do with your time. And so in 1 John, there's this instruction where the author is saying, let's give you a big picture of what has happened. And they, they go on in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, so we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, talking about all the stuff from, from Jesus, their time and learning from Jesus and the resurrection, so that you may also have fellowship with us, talking to new believers. You may have koinonia with us, and our koinonia, fellowship, is with God the Father and with the Son, because Jesus Christ has koinonia, fellowship with God the Father, and we have koinonia, fellowship with Jesus, so that you may have koinonia, fellowship with us. It's a whole lot of words, right? Anybody get lost in that? I did. That's why I wrote out a few more notes, because it was, it was a lot. What, what he's saying here is, it's neat. It's, so we're going to go from the big picture. So God, again, Trinity, this whole thing. Jesus, who we're learning from, we're Christians, right? We're Christ followers, followers of Jesus, had this deep, intimate communion, connection, koinonia with God the Father. The Trinity exists in this close connection. And then the disciples who were, who were saved and who believed in and who followed, who were disciples of Jesus, have that same level, koinonia, connection with Jesus, they're now part of that whole thing. And then the people they speak to and bring the gospel to get that same level, koinonia, fellowship with them. And this body just expands and that becomes the church. Pretty hefty, hey? Some of you are like, I wanted to come here, blend in, get out the door before I have to have any coffee. It's too bad. There's some weight to this. This is huge. This is, this is big, and here's the thing. We're hardwired for this. As human beings, we need this, right? Literally, think about the pandemic. Think about some of the maybe rougher years of a lot of our lives. 
we were, we were, had restrictions, right? So we were forced literally apart. And we would do things together through Zoom, through all sorts of connections. And, and that was good. I'm glad that we were still able to worship together, see some faces, celebrate, chat, connect, right? Did it feel the same? Right? Because the further we literally separate that physical connection, that intimacy, that koinonia, fellowship, the further we start to disconnect from that is a thing that we actually have as a need. And I've observed more now than ever, we're experiencing, I'm calling it pandemic hangover, right? Because we're past all the restrictions and stuff. And yet, overwhelmingly, I hear from people constantly. I hear from you. I feel it in my life. My friends, I don't feel connected. I don't have close relationships in my life. By and large, overwhelmingly, especially, I'll say this, especially men have max like one, maybe two people that they would actually ever say I connect with and share authentically with. I know a lot of people who have zero. It's their spouse. That's the only person they have any sort of fellowship with in their life. Women do a little bit better in this, but by and large, we are pretty disconnected from each other. And not just the church out there. And if there's one great need that our whole world has right now, it's intimate, real community connection because we need that literally improves and affects our health physically and our health spiritually, our faith, being part of a community that we're actually real with. And, and it's neat. So it's, it's something that actually involves some back and forth, like sharing. It can be like sharing your struggles together. It can be worshiping together. It can be helping somebody or each other out financially or with resources. That's koinonia, right? right? Like it literally helping on a project or praying together, talking like these deep, real connections. It does go below the surfacey, like, oh, it's raining again, right? Can, do you think it's going to snow again? It, it does have some real, actual connection. What's going on in your life? What's awesome? What sucks? Let me share back and forth. So some real connection, and it's involved, it's active, right? I will say this is a challenge. If you're feeling like you're lacking it, and you're just waiting for somebody to, to, to do that for you, you'll never get that. If you're waiting for somebody to do fellowship and intimate community for you, you have to actually participate in it and likely initiate it. And as followers of Jesus, as Cedar Valley Church, I think one of our big tasks is to show mission, to have mission see Jesus is going to be the initiators of that, to actually teach a city how to be real and close and have koinonia again. So, that kind of fellowship and connection within a intentional gathering, something that actually happens, something where you actually come out to, that's church. So we got those two words, ecclesia, koinonia, two neat Greek words, kind of dived, dived into, described a little bit about it. I would love to expand so much more on this, but I've got a different point, not a different point, a, a specific point I want to get us to this morning here. And the month of January, we're going to be taking a look at different aspects of this whole big picture idea of what is church. Already, do you kind of get a sense that's not the kind of thing that's just an idea, right? It's not the kind of thing you can just go to and leave really quick on a Sunday, it's not really a building, right? In that passage uh, in Acts 2, I kind of love the fact that it says they, they gathered in the temple courts, they gathered at home. Wherever they were at sharing with each other, that was koinonia. So it's not something that you can just Google. It's something that you actually participate in and become part of. So the heart of the matter this morning I want to dive into is a book uh, in the New Testament called 1 Corinthians. If you've got your Bible or if you've got a phone, Google it, open it up. We're going to be in it. I don't have any slides this morning. Uh, we're running intentionally thin this morning for a little bit of a point. Um, 
But so 1 Corinthians, this is a book in the New Testament written by a man named Paul. Uh, If you've come here before in the past year, we've been doing a book study through the book of Galatians. Same author, Paul the Apostle wrote the majority of the books in the New Testament. And they they were written as letters to churches, to people gathering who Paul had traveled all around the ancient Mediterranean area, speaking the good news about Jesus, planting churches. And then he would write letters as follow-ups, kind of checking in about stuff like this. You got to do this. Here's some encouragement. Stop doing this. Kick that guy out of the church. He's an absolute mess uh, and, and hurting a lot of people. Just like letters about instruction, like what to do, how to kind of live your life, how to experience relationship with Jesus. And so then we have 1 Corinthians. And, and this is a letter to the churches in Corinth. And this was like a big, booming city. This was a center of commerce. Lots of wealth, lots of ideas, lots of philosophy, lots of influence. Uh, it, it was education, religion, everything, right? It, they were the church, they were the, they were the city with the mega churches, the big temples, and including like the pagan worship temples. And so this is the first letter Paul is writing to this church. And because they, they had some... Of, they had dozens of issues, actually. If you read through the whole thing, it's, they're, they're a mess. Um, but there's uh, some stuff to that Cedar Valley. I think we've got a lot of parallels. And there's one specific one that the church in Corinth was wrestling with, we're wrestling with right now here at Cedar Valley. See, the church in Corinth, they had all these people. They had lots of people. And there was lots of things to do in this ecclesia. There's lots of things to, to accomplish, to, or there's lots of things needed to help accomplish authentic koinonia within that congregation, within that community. And it wasn't happening. Stuff wasn't getting done. And Paul was hearing complaints from people of like, well, what's my purpose? What do I do? I don't have a role. My, I'm not very significant. I'm not important. Who here's thought that? You don't have to put up your hands. It's fine. I've heard it. I've heard it from a number of us. I've thought it. What's my role? What's my point? What's my purpose? I, I, I'm tasked a little bit each week of things, preaching, preaching, preaching. So I, I got that role. But, you know, like, what's going on? So we're just going to read through it. We're going to stop, pause, dialogue a little bit about it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, starting around verse 12. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. We want to pause there for a moment. So. Big picture already, and we're going to skip around a little bit in this uh, just because it's a a long passage. Paul is talking about, he's bringing up this metaphor. He's talking about a body, like literally human body, right? Legs, feet, toes, eyes, hair, some of us, hair. Just literally a body. He's using it to communicate this thing uh, about what is the church. And I love this right away. So he says, uh, but with all its many parts form one body. So it is with, does he say the church? says, with Christ. Yet he's talking about the church. And this is a really powerful and important point. Uh, so skipping ahead, not ahead a little bit, um, the Apostle Paul in his languaging often uses this. He almost uses the word church interchangeably with Christ when dialoguing about what's the purpose, what's the function. Uh, part of the Apostle Paul's testimony story is uh, originally he's a man named Saul who persecuted Christians, who hated Christians, who would go door to door imprisoning people who said they're a follower of Jesus. He oversaw the execution of followers of Jesus until Jesus came into his life one time, manifested, struck him blind, told him to stop. And and here's what Jesus' words were to, at the time, Saul, to this author, Paul. He said, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting 
Did you say the church? Me. Jesus. Paul, why are you persecuting Jesus? Even though previously there's things saying that Paul would go around attacking and destroying the church. See, for this, Paul knows so, so closely intermeshed this gathering, this ecclesia with that, the koinonia, right? This intentional assembly of worshipers coming together is the representation of Jesus on, in our world. This is the huge challenge, okay? So this is the thing. This isn't some, Cedar Valley Church isn't something you can come to, blend in, pretend like you have no influence in it. This actual gathering, not the stuff we do up there on the stage, but what we do all together is the representation of Jesus to our neighborhoods, to our city, and not you just by yourself. Don't flatter yourself for myself. I can't represent Jesus by myself. But together as a community, we are what shows Jesus to the community. So back to, back to the passage. Just as one body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, the ecclesia. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink, even so the body is not made up of one part but many. He's just repeating himself to really drive home the part, the point. There are a lot of roles involved. So just a synopsis of the next little bit, verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. He's saying every little piece of the body matters, right? If you're left-handed and you think that's a little bit weird, right, it doesn't matter. You still got a left hand. It's still part of the body. You cannot stop being part of the body. Starting in verse 21, he even goes on to ex explain it further. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, because the eye only thinks like, well, the, what's the point? The function is that they could see. The hand touches and grabs and points and stuff, right? And throws profanities out sometimes. So the eye is like, there's no point of view. That's not true, actually. The body has different functions, different roles, different needs, and they're all part of it. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, right? If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. Okay, so I'm not a doctor, but when you hurt your ankle, kind of messes up your day, hey? I, I've got this thing with eyes, like... If I'm, if I'm going to get an injury, it's going to be an eye injury because I've had plenty of eye injuries for the dumbest reason. If I'm working on wood and I'll wear like three safety glasses, whatever it is, the full goggles, I'll get a splinter in it. I've been to the hospital three times for literally wood and metal splinters in my eyeball. It's ridiculous. But I get something stupid, tiny little thing in my eye and I am useless. I can't do anything. I, I close my eyes, I whimper, and I close my eyes and this is it. I am blind. I'm never leaving the bed and I'm just going to listen to sitcom TV shows the rest of my life that I've already seen because I'm never going to see him again. It's huge, right? When you have an ailment, when something's hitting your body physically, it disrupts everything. And here's the application, how it comes to and affects the church. There is no room for a sense of retirement or taking a break or a backseat. Or you had this thing where I did my time and now I'm just going to get stuffed and be served, okay? Like if the heart was like, I worked real hard, especially that time I was pregnant and as pumping for two, I just, you know what, I'm just going to take a break and stop. That's called cardiac arrest and you die. The body, representing in Paul's metaphor here, the church, doesn't have room for that. In fact, it takes constant participation for health. And that doesn't mean stretching yourself, overworking, being dead. Like a healthy body is what? Healthy. 
and sustainable and thriving and good, right? Like when you're at your peak, not, not with the flu and like the flu season, and I think we've all been done, and when you eat McDonald's for three weeks straight, like not, not that kind of time when you're just surviving and getting by, but like when you're doing well, when you're thriving, after you've had like a week-long vacation, you've had some good walking time and some hikes, and you've read some good books, right? When you're thriving, when you're at your peak, that's when stuff is working well, and that's because everything is working well and supported. So, again, big ideas. We're just going to get down to now because I want to really respect time this morning too. Going to get to the brass tacks. This means active involvement in this body, in this ecclesia, coming together, Cedar Valley Church. It means there is a role for every single one of you. And there's so many different roles. And it doesn't mean literally you got to sign up for one out of three ministries. I know we're not all singers, right? We're, we're not all whatever. And it's not just about Sunday mornings either. It's this thing that we do daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, that we gather together hourly. As we go into this new year, I, I really want to help this church and us experience this incredible miracle that is the church, the ecclesia, the koinonia, the way it's meant to be. It's something that is so life-giving. And I know many of us here are still lacking that. And maybe you've been trying a little bit, but passively, and you're, you're lacking it, you're missing it in your life. Because I know of the, the conversations I've had, there's a lot of hurt here. I don't feel connected. I don't feel like I'm part of the community. I don't feel like I've got people in my life anymore. And it, it breaks my heart because this is the place where that should be happening. And it's the place where that can be happening. And it's the place where Jesus wants to see that happening because that's the representation of Jesus to our city. So if you've had that thought, I don't feel connected, I don't know what's going on, I don't have a purpose, I'm lost, I'm struggling, I don't have joy. Did you know that there's an equation for happiness? It's, it's neat. The, so there's a book called The Happiness Hypothesis um, by a psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, and uh, I, I wanted to put it up here, but so just get a mental picture, right, or write it down. It's, what's the direction? I'll go this way. H, happiness, equals. So happiness equals S, plus C plus V. Okay, I'll talk about, I'll, I'll say this. Happiness equals S, which is like your set point. So your genetics, your genetic makeup. We have a bit of a disposition to like, if, you, if you're more likely to kind of wrestle with depression, anxiety, stuff like that, if you've just got a bit more like dopamine in your blood flow, right? You've got a, a bit of a set point, right? So happiness equals your set point plus your circumstances some of the stuff you just can't really change or that are kind of said, they're, they're, they're big, long ideas, right? Are you married? Are you not? What country do you live in? What's your kind of financial situation? Just the circumstances around you. So happiness equals your set point, your circumstances, and then you got this other variable here, which the book argues and psychologists argue is the most influential piece in the equation because it's also the one that you have entire control over. It could be a zero all the way to a billion. It is your voluntary actions, the stuff you do, the stuff you choose to do. There's another book, literally called The Happiness Equation, just a very simplified idea of the same thing. Uh, it's very simple. The equation just goes happiness equals want nothing. So it's a, just, just take what is already set, your circumstances, your set point, whatever it is, just be fine with it, plus do anything. And it boils that whole big equation down to this thing, literally doing something intentional, saying, I'm going to learn how to jump on a pogo stick, boosts your happiness. Like, like clinically, doing anything actually boosts a little bit of dopamine for people when they're studying depression, anxiety, people who are down. 
it helps being physically active. Here, here's the thing. Uh, in all the studies, the percentage of people who rate their general happiness uh, or happy moments at the lowest, right? And even if it's dynamic up and down or whatever, but like the least amount of happy moments okay, is not single mothers struggling. It's not people who are in overworked, demanding professions. It's not teenagers. It's retirees. It's, and it's people who bought into this lie that you just do a bunch of stuff in life until you get to this point and now you do nothing and just get. And they report the least amount of happy moments in their life at this point now. And, and what happens instead is, is that happens in our faith life too sometimes. We get to this point, okay, I've, I've done the church thing for enough time and now I'm just going to sit back and get. And you start feeling like, I'm not feeling faith very well. I'm not connecting with Jesus anymore. I don't really feel encouraged or challenged or I don't feel like the presence or the spirit's here because there's not really room for retirement. It doesn't mean work hard. What it means is what is your active, intentional, purposeful role? And it's probably got to be something beyond just being bedridden the rest of your life. And even if that is because of physical ailments, some of the most incredible pieces of artwork and books and things in our world have actually been from people who are uh, some of the most brilliant minds, people who have complete like, physical paralysis top to bottom, people who can't do anything physically. You can pray like mad for people. You can reach out and talk and connect because we just talked about what's the, most thing, what's the thing most of us feel lacking like we're not feeling connected with. And if you're stuck at home bedridden and you can't really do much, pick up that phone and start talking with people. And that's the most intentional, life-giving thing you could do to the world, to the people around you. And honestly, you miss out on some of the best parts about Cedar Valley Church by being completely inactive. If you're kind of in this place where you're finding if you're letting people do church for you, you've completely missed out on what the beautiful thing about this community could be. Right? So if you're not feeling connected, so we got like our Sunday morning teams. If you're not feeling connected to the community, you're coming to church five minutes late, you leave out the door instantly, and you're like, yeah, I don't know what's going on, and I don't really talk with people. Because you're not really involved, and you're not talking with people. When there's people who come here all the way from Agassiz, not saying anything specific, Mary, but 8 a.m., probably leaving at 6.30 in the morning to beat the ice storms to get the coffee machine going. Right? Or then there's the worship team and the tech team who stay for an hour after the service, wrapping up cables, connecting. These are the times when you could be actually experiencing that koinonia, right? When I shut up and stop talking, and then you actually get to just connect with each other and have some community and be present. Make that an actual priority and tidying up and being around and encouraging people. Um, our rentals, one of the big vision pieces of our church statement is using our campus as a blessing to our community. And it, it, God is at work because we still, we don't have anything advertising that we actually do that with our community. And yet the majority of the things I do uh, on a weekly basis in the office is like communicating rentals, setting up fundraisers, organizations who are looking for spaces to work out their projects, to do community impacting things. We have on average about 400 people who walk through the doors, the basement here, the other side, every single week. And for the most part, it's like Carol and myself in the office who get to actually experience these connections and, and connect with people, hear about their life stories. Last week, there was a 10-year uh, a anniversary party happening downstairs in the basement. Huge party. It was awesome. I just come early to open up the doors. Here's the bathrooms. Here's the garbage. I get to meet somebody new. What's going on in their life? What's their what are they excited about? What do they love about this community? We're 10 years of married. Let's hear about that, right? I've also never you know, had 150 people come to a 10-year anniversary party before. So you're popular. Well, tell me about that. Really cool stuff that happens. 
we have events this afternoon. We got a memorial service for a tragedy of a 16-year-old uh, boy who, who passed away. And being part of being present for the church, if you're part of the teams that can just welcome people, just host, just literally be here to help people through the hardest times of their life, that's being the church, too, for our city, right? Maintenance. This is an old building, and it is falling apart. And we have this awesome group of older guys who are just fixing stuff constantly. Light bulb, light bulb, light bulb, leak, leak, light bulb, water burst, stuff to fix. It's awesome. They're out here Wednesdays, and they go out for lunch. They experience fellowship together. Huge things, right? Kids and youth is just fun, honestly. For the most part, you're, when's the last time you played dodgeball? When's the last time you got to literally throw a foam ball at an annoying kid as hard as you can? <laughs> These guys are like, yeah, that's all I do. My memories of, of the most impactful things and situations, communities and stuff I grew up in as a kid wasn't the pastors in my church. It wasn't the upfront professionals, right? It wasn't the music, although I've been to a lot of really cool concerts. The most impactful things I remember, especially when it comes to church stuff, is I, like, I remember my Sunday school leaders. I remember my youth leaders. I remember a worship leader who brought me into a worship team when I was learning how to play instruments. The people who were just, who were just present consistently impact my life. Not because they were rock stars, not because they were the coolest people on the planet, because they were just there intentionally, wanting to see me grow and being there as a service piece. They wanted to have me experience Jesus and experience that fellowship in a community like this, so they put in the time. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of the morning here. I realize we're already at that point, but this is, this is an important key piece to start the year off, to thrive as a church, because when it really comes down to it too, this morning, we're experiencing a little bit of, of the reality, right? This last year, we've had an amazing team of volunteers step up and stretch themselves like crazy to cover the gaps. And if it seems like stuff is fine and everything's just working fine, it's because a, a select few people are burning themselves out like crazy. Uh, to just name a few pieces, the amount of Sundays where we've had a worship leader uh, start by welcoming you to church, sing a bunch of songs, run downstairs as fast as possible to teach the kids program, uh, we've got one sound tech right now who was scheduled for all but five services last year. One single sound tech. We've got a broadcaster who is 10 years old, who's doing an awesome job. And, um, and then when we don't, we're not online this morning because we kind of also want times to experience a different side of that fellowship together, right? As it stands, Right now, we are unable to run a kids program every week. We are unable to have the nursery supervised every week. We are unable to have lyrics on the screen every week. We're unable to have microphones and sound running every week. We're unable to do youth group at all. We don't have enough leaders, because there's some logistics, right? You literally need two adults just to meet safety policies, because we take kids, like child safety, very seriously, and we need a minimum ratio of adults to, to children, leaders. And, and we just can't meet those things because we're very thin on these ministries right now. And it's not just Sunday church stuff, right? Like there's also these other incredible opportunities that happen throughout the weeks. And it's not just Cedar Valley stuff too. I know many of you are involved in the MCC thrift store serving there, or you're part of the Hope Central Kitchen serving uh, dinners for people out on the streets, or you're helping out at the hospital, the auxiliary staff at the hospital. There's a lot of amazing things. There's a lot of needs. Specifically, though, this morning, if you've been blessed by the worship services, if you've enjoyed 
having the stuff just work and function so you can learn and grow together. If this is the kind of thing that is life-giving to you, we want to spend some time actually getting some sign-ups filled so that we can actually thrive and support our volunteer team that's currently working and to be part of an intentional community that's actually active. If you've had that thought where I don't feel involved, I don't have a role, this is your chance. So what we're going to do is I've got some of our ministry leaders who are part of all those different roles. We've got tables all around the back of the worship uh, center here, the sanctuary, and uh, they're just going to be there manning the stations, people who have been passionately involved in these ministries, and this is a chance for you to go find out some stuff. Find out what's involved in the tech stuff. It's not that scary. There was a 73-year-old running that crazy booth full of computers and screens for our church or our Christmas Eve services. It's possible. You can learn, right? We've got, uh, you know, uh, there's all, it's not an age-based thing, right? 10-year-old all the way to 73 running the tech stuff. Kids is not a matter of if you are fast and running around. It's if you actually want to see, and this is necessary. It's, it's biblical. It's Jesus' command. We cannot leave our children behind. And if you want to see them blossom and experience the love of God and not have the world completely influence them and direct them, whatever Beyonce or Rihanna says, this is now your life, and we actually want to bring the gospel into their lives, it means that that's a priority. And you just need to be present with that. So go to the booths, talk with the volunteers, talk with the ministry leaders. What's involved? What do I need to do? How life-giving is it? And when we build these teams, it becomes sustainable and we all thrive. And then we actually get to experience this ecclesia better. And you get to be involved in that fellowship, that koinonia together. And when that is thriving, we will help mission see Jesus. Amen? Good. We're still awake. Awesome. I went over time. I'm just going to invite the ministry leaders to head up to the, to the tables there. I'm going to pray And that's just what it is. Don't head out the doors. Spend some time. Talk about it. And like I said, we have both real needs but real opportunities to actually learn some cool skills to get involved. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this thing that, like like God, you could have created a system that says follow some rules and do some stuff, but that's not what you did. You said, God, you said people. I, God, exist in this fellowship together because you're designed in my image and you need to exist in this fellowship together. That's how you're going to show the world who I am. That's the manifestation. God, thank you for that opportunity that you've wired us in this way to be part of a community, to be hands-on involved. God, we just ask that you bless this place. God, bless Cedar Valley in the year coming ahead that we are active, that we find roles to be fulfilling in ourselves and and to learn more about you, God, to live out our faith. God, we just, uh, we thank you for this morning, God, for this time of worship, for who you are, and encourage us today, tomorrow, this week, these months ahead, to just actively be thinking, how can I be part of a community that's helping missions see who you are? God, we thank you for who you are. Apparently, sing your name. Amen. Thank you.